Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode of, of uh, Ogletree Deacons, California Employment Law. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important California Supreme Court decision that opens up liability for California employers who are subject to class actions for uh, missed meal periods and missed breaks. We have with us today two excellent folks, excellent guests who are going to be able to talk us through this and using English and not legalese. First of all, we have my really good friend from Los Angeles, Bob Rogenson, and he's managing shareholder of the Los Angeles office, and he's also chair of the firm's trucking and logistics industry group. Bob focuses primarily on all aspects of California and federal wage and hour law. He represents employers in class action and private attorney general's acts defenses, and he also provides lots of counseling on employer pay practices. He has also, he was also from November 2007 until March 2010, he also serves as chief counsel for the California Division of Labor Standards Enforcement. And I know all you California practitioners and uh, human resources persons know what the DLSC does. He was appointed by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was very helpful in providing some opinion letters that were helpful to employers. Also with us today, is Mike Nader. Mike is a shareholder in our Sacramento office, used to be a shareholder in the San Francisco office as well. And he also took a brief break from us to be uh, to work as in-house counsel. So he's very familiar with all the uh, various pressures, et cetera, that in-house counsel have to deal with. He focuses the majority of his practice on class actions, and representative actions, uh, particularly involving wage and hour claims. He has served as lead defense counsel on a number of significant California wage and hour class actions and has obtained favorable results for clients in both federal and state trial and appellate courts and administrative agencies. If you follow the legal blogs, you may have seen his name in a number of publications because he writes frequently, particularly about wage and hour issues. He's been published in World at Work, Law 360, The Daily Journal, Corporate Council, Sacramento Business Journal, Bloomberg, and a a number of other publications as well. My name is Charles Thompson. I'm co-chair of the Leave of Absence and uh, Reasonable Accommodation Practice Group. I'm a shareholder in our San Francisco office and also am one of the team leaders for our California COVID uh, response team. All right, Bob, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you joining us. All right, Mike, why don't we start off with having you just explain in English, not legalese, what the California Supreme Court decided. Just what were the facts and what what was the holding? Sure, Charles. The California Supreme Court issued a unanimous decision, Jessica Farah versus Lowe's Hollywood Hotel, LLC. And, you know, in that decision, the facts are pretty straightforward. Basically, Jessica Farah was a bartender for Lowe's, and she earned an hourly wage 
plus a quarterly bonus. And she, in some situations, did not get compliant meal or rest breaks. So as you know, under California law, you get one hour of premium pay when there is a non-compliant break provided by the company. So she was paid her hour premium pay at the base rate. Farah claimed that, no, you should have paid me at the regular rate. You should have included my incentive compensation, my quarterly bonus, in the calculation of the one-hour penalty premium that you paid me. So it should have been higher than just my base rate of pay. And really, that's about as complex as the facts get in this case. So the trial court ruled in favor of Lowe's, and the appellate court affirmed. And, you know, these decisions were aligned with other California Court of Appeal decisions at the time and other decisions by the federal courts that the regular rate of compensation means the base hourly rate of pay. And let me address that in the law. So, as I'm sure our listeners know, the regular rate of pay for overtime purposes is that calculation of the base hourly rate plus the non discretionary incentive compensation that employees receive as well. So in plain English, bonuses and commissions and piece rates and things like that. And the regular rate of pay is basically all that compensation divided by the total number of hours worked. And that rate in most situations is higher than the base rate of pay, the hourly base rate of pay. So the California Supreme Court, however, reversed the appellate court and decided that these premium payments for Mr. Meal and Rest Breaks should have been paid at the regular rate of pay, like in the overtime situation, rather than the regular rate of compensation that was the commonly understood term for the base hourly rate for the premium payments for Mr. Meal and Rest Breaks. So it all came down to what's the meaning of regular rate of compensation? Does it mean the same as the regular rate of pay? And the court decided it did mean the same that those words were used interchangeably in the courts and in the legislatures, and therefore they mean the same. So as a result, the court has decided now that premium payments for missed meal and rest breaks and recovery breaks must be at the regular rate of pay. So there must be an inclusion of incentive compensation in that calculation. And then the court decided that its decision is now retroactive. It's not just prospective, but retroactive. So it applies as well retroactively. And the court also mentioned several policy reasons about uh, breaks and regular rate of pay. They mentioned, for example, that regarding breaks, the policy reasons to apply the regular rate of pay, the higher rate essentially, is that you don't want employees who are forced to work through break periods It creates greater risks of work-related accidents and increased stress, and that employees need time free from employer control to handle important personal tasks. So what I think this all comes down to is the court is saying the following to California employers, that breaks essentially are for your benefit. It allows employees to remain alert, productive, and safe, and therefore it's a high priority. And if California employers don't provide them, then, you know, the courts and the legislatures are going to provide pretty stiff penalties, including this premium payment at the regular rate of pay. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for that uh, for that brief explanation of the case. Bob, you've been doing this a long time and, and you've had a lot of experience 
both as managing shareholder and with the DLSC. So should we have expected this decision? Should employers have expected this decision? Did the Supreme Court use different means of interpreting the statute? What do you think? I got to tell you, I was a bit surprised by this decision. Uh, And the reason why I was surprised by this decision is because the California Labor Commissioner has been handling meal and rest period claims forever. And in determining how they issue an award against an employer who has failed to provide the meal periods, it would regularly use the rate that the employee had been paid. If they were being paid $15 an hour, the meal period premium would be $15 an hour. And there's some good sense to that. Here, I think that the court should have, based upon how the the term had been used, should have come out with a, a similar determination. It didn't. It went with the regular rate of pay based upon the overtime calculation. Given the makeup of the court, given how this court has regularly uh, uh, come up with overly legal determinations, I'm not surprised in that respect. But it it has provided a real uh, shock, I think, and will be a real shock to employers who have presumed and followed the, the, the more common sense approach of whatever rate was in effect for the particular worker, uh, hourly rate, that was the rate that they'd be paid. Well, let me ask this, Bob. Is, does, does this decision apply retroactively? I mean, what's the, I mean, how concerned should employers be about this particular decision? And also, what should employers, what do you think that employers might want to consider um, now that the decision, doing now that the decision's come down? Well, yeah, this is a significant decision. Number one, uh, they need to come into compliance. And by that, I mean, when they calculate the rate of pay for a meal period premium, they need to now use this regular rate of pay formula going forward. The court was really clear when it held that this decision applies retroactively. The court was essentially saying, this is the way this law should have always been interpreted. And so those employers that had not been interpreting this decision that way, they need to make the decision whether they are going to back, go, go back and issue restitution payments for past meal period premium, meal and rest period premiums that may have not been calculated using this regular rate of pay. Uh, I think those are the two big takeaways uh, on this. Some employers may say, well, we should eliminate these incentive-based payments because they are of becoming too complicated. And I wouldn't encourage employers to do that to the extent that they have found it's necessary to have some incentive-based compensation, whether it's piece rate or bonuses. Those shouldn't be quickly abandoned. Employers have always needed to factor in those additional incentive-based payments in the overtime calculations. So they should be aware or at least Um, complying with the overtime element. This new ruling just means they need to use the same type of rate for the meal and rest period premiums. Okay, great. Thanks, Bob. That's very informative. Mike, um, you've also been doing this a a long period of time and write about these types of things frequently. So from your perspective, what are some things that an employer might uh, consider doing as a result of, um, of this decision? Well, a few things. First of all, I mean, there are some potential adverse consequences to employees out of this. Some of them have kind of a no-fault premium payment system, 
where, you know, with any, based on any discrepancy in the timekeeping records, for example, on meal breaks, any short, missed, or late meal break, they will automatically pay the premium, you know, regardless of whether the employee uh, actually got the legally compliant opportunity to take a break. So employers should sort of consider reviewing those programs. But, but also, you know, employers also want to clarify, you know, which bonuses are discretionary, which are non-discretionary, need to be included in the regular rate of pay, what pay period they cover. But also, you know, employers need to understand that based on this decision, it doesn't do away with their ordinary defenses to meal and rest break claims. Anything else, Mike, or, or Bob, anything, along, anything else that you think employers should consider? And I guess I should say at this point that we're not, that as with all our podcasts, we are not providing legal advice and making specific recommendations. All we're doing is saying that employers may want to consider these things to make sure that they don't get bitten by this decision. Anything else that you two can think of? I think this recent decision underscores the fact that meal and rest period compliance is going to continue to be extremely challenging for companies. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to be attractive to the plaintiff's bar to bring meal and rest period claims because there's so many different ways that they'll be able to demonstrate that the company didn't comply. I think companies need to take real care to make sure that they are complying with each element of the meal period and rest period requirements, ensuring that they are paying the correct rate and calculating that rate correctly is going to be a very important part of that uh, compliance program. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate that, Bob. Now, Mike, right before we started the podcast, you mentioned another decision that's before the California Supreme Court. Not sure I wrote it down correctly, but Naranjo versus Spectrum Security Services. Do you mind, you, do you mind um, explaining what that case is about and how it ties in to what you all have just been talking about with this case? Sure, Charles. I mean, that case involved on-call hourly security officers who were paid for on-duty meal periods. And they also claim they are entitled to premium wages from the employer. In that case, just for the purposes of this podcast, uh, you know, the question is whether these premium payments should also qualify as wages. Um, and if they qualify as wages, you know, how does that affect, for example, late payment penalties, right? When a departing employer leaves, employee leaves, and there's a potential violation of Labor Code 203, um, would the non-payment of premiums and even the non-payment of premiums at this new regular rate uh, be a potential violation and a potential non-payment of all earned wages to a departing employee. And also, if these payments, if Naranjo decides, if the Naranjo Court, the Supreme Court decides that premium payments are wages, do they have to be reported uh, on the wage statement in a particular manner? So a host of other risks would be involved with employers if the Supreme Court decided in Naranjo that premium payments are now considered wages. Okay, I just want to make sure that we're all that that everybody who's listening is clear. The decision, the California Supreme Court has not reached a decision in Naranjo. It's just before them now. That's correct. All right, Bob. Anything you want to add about Naranjo and um, its relationship and how it and and how this most recent decision might affect it? Well, I think Naranjo is going to factor in in the court's consideration in Naranjo about the potential liability for uh, final pay penalties will play a role in companies' decisions whether to issue restitution. 
And also, I think it increases the risk if an employer does not come into compliance with this recent decision in FARA to calculate the, the premium rate correctly. If the company doesn't calculate that rate correctly and a separated employee uh, files a claim uh, based upon how court comes out in the Naranjo, there may be an exposure for waiting time penalties. So I think it's bottom line, I think it's important for companies to, to um, make the adjustments necessary to comply with this law. And then we'll need to evaluate with counsel whether to issue restitution for past periods. Wow. Okay. Sounds to me like um, clients have a lot to look out for and that you two and the entire class action group are going to have your hands full uh, at least for the rest of the year and, and certainly into 2022. Is that, is that accurate? No doubt. Okay. All right. Well, Bob, Mike, I really want to say thank you for uh, contributing today and, and taking time away from your busy practice. I know you all have a lot to do, uh, particularly with, the, with what the California Supreme Court just put on your, uh, you know, in your laps. You two also have just written and published a blog about uh, the, this decision as well. And in, anybody who wants to can look online or on our web on the Ogletree Deacons website and uh, find out more information. And I'm assuming that um, clients and listeners can uh, reach out to either of you if they have questions, either about the Naranjo uh, case or the, or the Lowe's case, right? Certainly, and also to, to come into compliance with this new uh, opinion. Great. All right, Bob, again, Mike, thanks for chiming in today and making yourselves available. Everybody, we will be back with another California Employment Law podcast within the next 10 days to two weeks. And we look forward to uh, hopefully having you all listen in then too. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.